Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the blessing of the truth that you have given to us through your word. Most of all, how that's been revealed in Jesus Christ and our understanding of Jesus. But I do pray that you will speak to us now, that you'll communicate to each and every heart, that you'll convict us of your desire to meet with us every day, to spend time with us, to fellowship with us, for us to understand you and to know you and your love and your grace. In your name I pray, amen. My oldest son, about four years ago, wrote a poem. I am 11 and am five foot two inches tall. I wonder if anyone in outer space besides God knows about me. I hear vacuums and yells and doors slamming and basketballs dribbling. I see my friends every day. I want to make an impression on someone. I am 11 and five foot two inches tall. I pretend to be a soldier. I feel happy and sad. I touch hard metal. I worry if I will die in the last days. I cry when people make mean comments about me. I am 11 and five foot two inches tall. I understand math. I say that people will be nice. I dream about Jesus. I try to be a better person. I hope Jesus will come soon. I am 11 and five foot two inches tall. Within that 11-year-old sermon, you see some things that are on his heart. That is what poetry is. It is this expression of the things that are in our hearts, the expression of, of, of the passions and the, the fears and the, the things that we are focused on. The longest chapter in the Bible, by, by any definition, words or verses, is a poem. And it's not just any poem. It is a love poem. This poem has all kinds of flowery words, things that maybe would be in a Shakespearean play, Jonathan. My lips, with my lips I recount. My soul is consumed with longing. My comfort in my suffering is this. In the night I remember your name. You are my portion. I have sought your face with, with all my heart. I will hasten and will not delay. My soul faints with longing. All these words, this, this love poem. Now, I used to write poetry when I was in high school and college, and they were all about love except for one. I wrote one about an ant. I remember it because I think it got published in the guide. My teacher submitted it, and it was published in the guide. But otherwise, they were all about love. You know, love lost, love desired, love gained, whatever it was. They were all these very lovely poems. That's why I read my 11-year-olds and not mine to you all. But, but I never wrote a poem this long, and I never thought to write a love poem about a book. But of 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 66 books written over the span of a couple thousand years, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all the Bible, is a love poem about a book. It is a love poem about the words of God. 
And it shows the author's heart and the author's passion. With my lips, those, those, those lines I read to you, they're part of verses. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. My soul is consumed with longing for your, for your words at all times. My comfort in my suffering is this, that your promises preserve my life. In the night, Lord, I remember your name that I may keep your law. You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face. I have sought your face with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promises. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. 176 verses in Psalm 119. And they all center on the same big idea a love for God's revelation through the words in this book. In this two-part series, sermon series, the B-I-B-L-E, I have two goals. First today, I, I hope to convict you, if you are not already doing so, to begin to meet with Jesus every day in the word. Or maybe if you've, you've put it aside for a time, I, I, I hope that, that this will motivate you once again to, to pick up the word of God again and to spend time with Jesus every day. And the goal for the second sermon is that you will be doers of God's word, not just hearers, not just readers, but, but that, that your actions will be, will be the actions that are motivated by the words that you read in this book. Now, most of us as followers of Jesus, most of us as, as, as Christians, probably most of you in here and most Christians in the world, if you ask them, how do you feel about the Bible? They would communicate that they, that they love the Bible, that they value the Bible, that they, that they appreciate the Bible. And, and there are elements, there are external elements of our lives that would indicate this is so. There are statements that we make that would, would indicate this is so. According to a study done last year by Lifeway Research, currently in the United States of America, 85% of all households own a Bible. And in those 85% of households representing 105 million homes and 227 million people, on average, there are 4.43 Bibles in each home. This would indicate a great love for the Bible, or at least a great love of, of buying Bibles. Do, you don't have to raise your hand, but do any of you just by a smile have an addiction of buying Bibles? A few of you have bought a lot of Bibles. Some of you might have even more than four in your, in your homes. Also, a majority of Americans, through statements that they make, believe or indicate a, a love or an understanding of the value of the Word of God. A majority of Americans, 67% to be exact, indicate that they believe the world would be a better place if everyone read the Bible and followed the Bible. 67% in our country say the world would be a better place if everyone read the Bible and followed the Bible. They seem to have an appreciation, or at least their statements indicate appreciation for the Word of God. But here's the thing. Our practices, when it comes to the Bible, indicates something different. 
Of the 227 million people that have a Bible in their home, according to the American Bible Society's 2022 report, only 14% of these people read their Bibles at least four times a week. And in fact, the Bible, American Bible Society's report said that they saw the largest decline ever in the history of their study in people reading the Bible on a consistent basis. 12% indicate that they read the Bible at least once a week. But 52% of Bible owners indicate, 52% of Bible owners indicate that they read their Bibles less than one time a year. And 54% of church attendees, according to this study, regular church attendees, indicate that the only time they engage with their Bible is when they come to church, when they come to church. The other 22% of that original group I was talking about say they read their Bibles less than four times a year. What this means is that, that while we own a lot of Bibles and while 67% of us say the world would be a better place if we read the Bible and if we followed the Bible, 74% of Bible owners, many followers of Jesus, rarely or never interact with this book outside of the church setting. You know, as a pastor, this is worrisome for me. It's, it's sad to me. It's, I will tell you, it's, it's a bit intimidating for me. Because what it means is that some of you are only getting your Bible instruction from what happens in my life or in my world. There are three reasons though I have that this is sad, worrisome, a little unnerving for me. One is, and I want to give you those three reasons. One is that I believe with all my heart that without spending regular time in the Bible, that we will not understand what truth actually is. Without spending regular time in the Bible, we will not understand what truth actually is. Not, not just truth about the Bible, but I believe the Bible conveys truth about the world in all its scope. The Bible conveys truth about yourself. The Bible conveys truth about those around you. The Bible conveys truth about, about science. The Bible conveys truth about societal trends. And, and without the word of God in our lives, we're never fully getting the truth. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. God's word is the only eternal and everlasting truth. Psalm 119 verse 96 in this love poem to the Bible, we are told to all perfection, I see a limit. The psalmist is saying, I see things around me that look perfect, but I know that in this world, there is a limit to those perfections. But then he says, but your word, your promises, your commands are boundless. In other words, they're without end. God's truth is without barrier. God's truth is without corruption. Think of the places that we get our truth in this world. From the media, we understand that the media in all sides has corruption. From politicians who say, this is what you need to believe and this is why you need to vote for me. We understand that politicians on all sides have corruption. We understand that the internet is truth that is corrupted oftentimes. By the way, 
even a, a pastor or a minister or a reverend or a priest, truth can be corrupted. We are all humans and thus we are susceptible to error. Only one thing is incorruptible. Only one truth is incorruptible. Psalm 119, verse 116, 160. All your words are true. All your words are true. I'm worried if we're not spending time in the Bible that, that we don't really understand truth the way we may think we do because it's not being guided by the word of God. A second reason I worry about this is that the word instructs us the, the, the Bible, the scriptures that God has given us instruct us on how to live right. And that knowledge that we receive from the word coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit keeps us and directs us on the right path. Psalm 119, verse 104. I gain understanding. How many of us want to be wise and have understanding in our interactions in the day? I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. God's word helps me to understand which path is right and which path is wrong. Parents, do we want our children to be uncorrupted in this world? Do we want them to, to live pure lives before our God? The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, verse nine, how can a young person, there's this question that's asked, the psalmist asks the question, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Some of your virgins will say, how can a young person keep their way pure? And then the psalmist asks, answers the question by living according to your word. But how do I know what the path of purity is if I'm never reading this book? How can I understand? How can I live according to the word and continue on that walk? How can our young people live according to the word and continue on that walk unless they're spending time in God's word? Or hey, adults. We need some help with purity too, right? We need some help with the temptations and the sinfulness of this world as well. Psalm 119 and verse 11. Maybe this is one that you've memorized before. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is talking about scripture memorization. Setting God's word in our hearts. I've shared this before, but my dad has, has testified that, that how he overcame some besetting sins in his life, some sins in his life that he had struggled with for, for decades, was him taking the time to spend time in the Word and writing down these scriptures on three by five cards. And anytime he was tempted and anytime he was struggling, pulling out those cards and just committing those to memory. And before long, when those temptations would arise at that same time, those scriptures would come back to memory and he'd be able to withstand those temptations. Jesus working through the power of his word, memorizing scripture, hiding it in our hearts so that we can overcome sin as well. I think about Jesus's words in John chapter 17 and verse 17. Jesus was praying there just before his death and he's praying for the world and, and he prays this prayer, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them is, of course, a fancy word for help them to live right. Help them to follow me in all their ways. And as I was thinking about this this week, I thought, you know what? Jesus was praying that God help 
the people sitting in Spencerville Church, September 17, 2022. Help them to live right, to, to, to understand your word so that they might live according to my plan for them. If we want to know truth, the Bible is the answer. If we want to know how to live right in this very wrong world, the Bible is the answer. And if we're not spending time there, it worries me, it concerns me. Finally, the third reason why I'm concerned if we are not spending time in the Bible, and this is the most important reason above all, if we are not engaging personally and regularly in the Bible, is I believe this to be true. What we feel about the Word of God and how much we interact with the Word of God is absolutely crucial because it mirrors, it mirrors what we believe how we feel, and how much time we want to spend with Jesus. It mirrors that. The Bible in the Gospel of John chapter 1 tells us that, that, that Jesus is the Word made flesh. What that means to me is that, that all of this book testifies and speaks to me about my Savior and my best friend, Jesus Christ. It, it tells me about his heart and his love for myself and for fellow humanity. It, it tells me about, about the character traits that, that Jesus possessed and that he wants to grow in me. This, this book tells me about, about Jesus's compassion for those who are in need and for those who are struggling. It tells me about Jesus's uh, sacrifice for me on the cross and for you on the cross. If I want to understand who Jesus truly is, and if I want to hear all that Jesus wants me to know and understand for my life, then I have to read this book. If I don't care what, what Jesus has to say, if we don't care about what Jesus wants to communicate for our lives, then we can go ahead and we can put it aside. We can put it aside. We can choose to either know a lot about Jesus or to know very little about Jesus. We can choose to, to have Jesus as an acquaintance, someone that we see as we come into the church and say hello and then walk out. Or we can choose to have him as a casual friend. Maybe we'll stop and have a little bit more of a conversation here and there. Or we can choose to have him be our soulmate, our best friend that we communicate to. And the moment we see them, we immediately start talking. Last weekend, I was busy all weekend long for all kinds of things and um, working on different things within the church. And I, I get home and I'm actually getting ready to go to another trip to Utah. So I was just coming home to pack and I walk into the backyard and then Christine and I just stood there in the backyard for about 20 minutes or more, just da 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 just chatting away, telling each other all about just random things. She was talking about the plants that she was planting. We were talking about some moment with the kids. I was telling her about our small groups thing and we just chatted away. Then I went inside and I got packed. I came back outside, start chatting away again, just having this conversation because she's my soulmate. She's, my, she's the love of my life. And there's just this dialogue going on. And every day, no matter where I am in the world, sometimes I even have to just send an email and she sends an email back because we don't have service of some sort. We're in communication every single day, no matter what's going on. And Jesus says, that's who I want to be in your life. And, and, and the direct reflection of how much 
I want Jesus in my life is, is how much I'm going to communicate with him or allow him to communicate with me in his word. Jesus said this about the Bible. All of these scriptures, all these things testify of me. They testify of me. If we want to understand truth, if we understand right living, and most of all, if we want to have that deep relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus has given us this book in order to communicate to us. And as we prayerfully read through this book, he speaks to us and grow and we grow with him. Probably many of you read and I, and I hope that you are reading, but, but I hope that we will be convicted to start reading the Bible more. Maybe some of you are those folk that, that, that during the pandemic that stopped reading the Bible as many did. As I said, the, the society reported the largest decrease in biblical reading ever in their history, of their study. Maybe some of you have put it aside and haven't really picked it up for a while because you've been busy coming out of the pandemic. I hope that you'll be motivated to pick it up again. To read it more often. I hope that you'll be motivated not just to rely on my Bible study, but that you will care about your own Bible study and that you will allow Jesus to speak to you in the exact same way that he speaks to me. There's no special power in who I am or anything else. Jesus wants to communicate to you. And if that's your conviction, you say, yes, that is what I want. I believe that everybody deep in their core does want that, but, but I know that the devil wants to take that away from us, that conviction away from us. I want to give you three things, three things that you can do that I think will help you in following through on that conviction. If you are convicted, you know what? I do need to spend more time in the word of God. I do want my time with, G with, with, with the scriptures to reflect my desire for Jesus in my life and in my heart. Then, then here's three things I would encourage you to do. The very first thing I would encourage you to do is pray that Jesus will seal that conviction in your heart. Here is why we need to pray for this. The Bible tells us in, in the book of John, chapter 10 and verse 10, that Satan, our enemy, is a thief and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I know something about myself that, that every time I have a conviction, I, I sense that the devil is immediately trying to do something to come along and steal and kill and destroy that conviction. I may be distracted. I may hear something and I think, oh, that's a good point. I need to remember that. And then I walk out this door and I'm distracted by something. Something goes on and, or, or I forget about it or I put it aside for a few days. And, and it's the thief trying to steal kill and destroy our convictions. And guess what? When the thief is able to steal, kill and destroy our convictions, he's more able to steal, kill and destroy our lives. And that's all he's trying to do is, is destroy us. And so we need to pray that the one who is in us is will, that, that Jesus will be in us because the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So we pray for strength for the strength of Jesus and for him to put the desire in our heart to read his word. Lord, give me that desire every single day that I, that I desire to come to you and spend time with you. That's our first step that I would encourage you to take. If you don't have that desire in you, then pray, Jesus, put a desire for your word in my heart. The second thing that has worked for me, and I think that there is a biblical principle to this, uh, and I'll show you the verse for it, but the second thing that has worked for me is that whenever I am successfully trying to add something or add a God thing in my life, it usually is accompanied by me either removing something or decreasing something else in my life. 
There just seems to be this pattern that, that when I'm recognized, when I'm convicted of something, okay, God, I'm convicted of this. I need to spend more time doing this. Then, then there usually is a decrease or, or a complete elimination of something else in my life. And the reason why I say I believe this is a biblical principle is in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one, the, the author of Hebrews, as he's talking about and encouraging God's people to persevere till the end, to push on till the end, to, to, to follow God all the way to the end, to, to hang on until they get that hope that they've been waiting for. He says, preemptive of all that, he says to them, and by the way, throw off everything, set aside everything that hinders you, Put aside all the sins that entangle you. Anything that hinders you, that entangles you from, from coming to the word every day with God, put that aside. Put that aside, whatever it may be. Y'all, this past week, I had this conviction again and I cut my Instagram. I just deleted it completely. I didn't deactivate it because if I deactivate it, I'm going back to it. But I cut it completely and I had cut all social media out a couple years ago. And then the pandemic came and Jason and I were talking and, and he said, well, you know, you need to be communicating with people. And all these people are in these spaces like Instagram and Facebook and all of that. And so um, why don't we go back to these things? So I started up again and I could use the excuse while well, I'm using these things to communicate with people. It's nonsense. I, I'm addicted to looking at those little real things and going like, oh, look, another alligator bit somebody or or look, there's more people swimming with sharks or another guy fell awkwardly on a skateboard that makes every male groan. Oh, and, and I mean, these are the things I'm addicted to. This is, this, is, this is what I'm doing. And I was reading this book. I've been reading this book called Analog Christian. And it's written by a man actually that lives out in Silicon Valley. And he was talking about, uh, uh, he was writing about, or he, he wrote about, and I'm reading about, Christians detaching from some of the technologies and and, and being more present with one another when they're in each other's presence, that they're more present, that they're, they're detached from some of these technologies. And I was reading this and I was convicted that I need to be more uh, disengaged from some of these technologies. But I wasn't convicted enough to end my Instagram, my last, you know, grasp of social media. But then I was reading and I thought, I wonder how I'm doing on some of this. And I, and I picked up my phone and I went to that place on your phone where you can look at your phone usage. Do any of you know about that? Or maybe you try to avoid it because you don't want to know. But, but I looked at that place on my phone usage and I saw that day, just that day when I, when I picked up my phone, that I had spent one hour and 19 minutes on Instagram. Now, here's what else I knew in that moment was that I had spent less than 30 minutes reading my Bible that day. And immediately I was under the conviction, if I'm doing, if I'm willing to spend four times or three times, I'm not very good at math, but a lot more time on Instagram than I am with the word of God, where are my priorities? And while my average daily use was only 20 minutes, I did check that too, just to make myself feel a little better about myself. I thought to myself, if there's even one day where I'm just willing to spend an hour and 20 minutes of watching this lady teach you how to like direct a white shark away so that she, it doesn't bite you. Anyone seen that video? <laughs> or another surfer getting crushed on some beach somewhere. Like if I'm willing to do that for even just one day, 
three times the amount of what I'm spending time in the word of God. I've got issues. I've got issues. You know, there's all kinds of things we could cut. We used to always talk about cutting TV. I remember that used to be the big thing, but, but it has evolved and, and, and it could be any number of things. You know, I'm, I'm going to pick again, specifically on social media. I just made my confession about Instagram, but, but I know based on the most recent uh, reports from Facebook, from Facebook, that if you are a lady over the age of 55 in this country, that you spend a minimum, on average, this is what they say, a minimum of 58 minutes a day on Facebook. 58 minutes per day on Facebook. That is 15, 24-hour days in a year. That is a lot of time to spend on Facebook. And I asked the question, when I looked at my Instagram and when I think about that, I asked the question, based on the longest love poem in the Bible, would, would Jesus prefer us to be on Facebook for 58 minutes or maybe to take that time and be invested in his word. And, and can I just say, I don't mean to step on any toes. I do mean to step on toes, but I don't mean to hurt them. Um, could I just say that, that folks liking a Bible text or sharing a Bible text does not qualify as spending time in the word, just for the record, you need to study and be involved in the word and young people, young people, the latest reports, the latest reports out of Zephoria are that 90% of 13 to 24 year olds globally and 75% of 13 to 24 year olds in the United States are on Snapchat with 190 million daily active users every single day. And they're doing a little better than us older folk because they're only on Snapchat 30 minutes a day, but they do pick it up 40 times a day on average to check to see if anyone has responded to their Snapchats. And I don't know what Snapchat is really because I've never been on Snapchat, but I think it's this thing where you take pictures and then they disappear. Is that right? Or something like that? I don't know. It seems scary to me because I'm like anything that can be taken a picture of and then disappear. It seems kind of, kind of a, a, a place for way too much temptation but I've not been there. So you can correct me if I'm wrong afterwards. But, but could it be young people that could it be that maybe we could cut back on some of that time and give it to Jesus's word? How shall a young person stay pure in this world? By living according to your word, Lord. So cutting something helps. Think about it. Maybe there's something in your life. Cutting something helps. The third thing is make a plan. What is the saying? If you, if we fail to plan, we plan to fail. I decided to preach on this topic for these next two Sabbaths, actually in recognition of my youngest son who I baptized today. My youngest son, Levi, was baptized today in first service, and uh, I was overjoyed with that, and he is uh, uh, such a great example. And, and I, I decided to preach on this because Levi, in our home, is a tremendous example of reading God's Word. He has set a plan and he follows that plan. Every single morning when he wakes up, he spends at least 15 minutes just reading God's word. He wakes up, gets his Bible, starts reading God's word. I, his dad, his, his pastor dad, at times have come in and said, Levi, we got to get going. You need to get going. You need to get moving. And he'll kind of look at me with the Bible like, And, 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 and bear with my confession. I, I've said, we don't have time for your reading right now. We need to get moving. 
And, and Levi is my most compliant, obedient child of, of any of them by far, by far. But he tells me, dad, I got to finish my Bible reading. Dad, I got to finish my Bible reading. He has a plan. He set a time and a date and a, and a spot and the amount of time. And every day he meets with Jesus there. That's what he does every single day. And the fourth thing I would encourage you to do, if you want to make this a habit, is start with Jesus. And I mean two things by that. One is, I know how we all are. Oh, the pastor made me feel guilty. Now I got to go home and like, or, oh, I got this new reading plan. So I just like checking the boxes. You know, you're like one of those people. Anyone just like, does anyone, my older sister makes a to-do list of things she's already done so that she can cross them out. Does anybody do stuff like that? So make a plan, but start with Jesus. And, and I don't, we're just not about crossing off a list. And we're just not about like the pastor made me feel guilty. I want you to say, Jesus, I want you in my life and I want you in my heart. And I want to, I want to understand truth about the world, about, about myself, about others. I, I want to know the right way to live. Jesus, I, I want you to not just be an acquaintance. Jesus, I don't just want you to be a casual friend. Jesus, I'm desperate for you to be the best friend in my life, to be my, my soulmate, Jesus. I want that. That's why I want you to start reading the Bible every day. Not because I made you feel guilty and not because it's a thing to check off, but because you, you know how desperately all of us need Jesus. All of us need Jesus. And the second thing I mean by start with Jesus is if you've been in a rut or you've been away from the Bible for a while, start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and just spend time reading about Jesus, his, his words, his sermons, his interactions with people, his, his, the, the, the characteristics that you see in him and, and watch as you as you read about Jesus, how, how your eyes are turned towards him and, and, and you begin to love him even more. You know, don't start in the hardest books. Don't start in, you know, the, the, the genealogies. Unless you're in Matthew, then you can start there. But don't start in the other genealogies. I asked Levi, actually, uh, about a month ago, I said to Levi, I said, so where are you at in your Bible? And he told me where he was at. And I said, what's been the hardest book of the Bible so far to read. And he said, Leviticus, his, his namesake, Leviticus. And I said, I said, oh, was it hard to understand? And he said, no, I could understand it. I said, well, then why? He said, there's blood everywhere. That's what he told me. He said, the book of Leviticus, there's just blood everywhere. So, so if you've not been in the habit of reading the Bible, maybe don't read. Maybe some of our, of our young teenage boys right now are like, oh, the blood everywhere. I want to read that book. Uh, but, but don't, you know, maybe don't start, start with Jesus. Start because of Jesus and start with Jesus. Pray. Get rid of something. Set a plan, time, length, place. And start with reading every day about Jesus. Here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus wants to meet with you every single day. And right now in this world we live in, you can't invite him over to lunch after church. You can't go for a run with him. You can't have him meet you on the front yard while you're watering the lawn just there. Right now in this world in which we live, Jesus said, I've given you all this so that you would know me. 
so that you would know me, that you would understand me. And so allow the Lord to speak to you, not four times a year, not even just four times a week, not even when you just come to church, but, but allow the Lord to speak to you every day. And may all of us one day be able to write a love poem about the word of God because we're in love with the savior that we found as we read those words. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the Bible. This wonderful, wonderful book. It's been abused and misused and, but Lord, there is a divine blessing that comes in reading it. And when we come to this book with hearts open, we come to this book with, with a desire to meet with our Savior on a daily basis. Jesus, you do not disappoint. You speak to us, you communicate to us. Lord, you have given us the Bible, this holy book, to tell each person in here. I made you. I love you. I died for you. And I'm coming back for you. Lord, may we read this book every day to remember those four things. And may we never forget our Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.